feature presentation. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 139 of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside. He's allergic to tomatoes, but he is tomato meter approved, Eric Merchant. Matt, we didn't plan it, but we are uh AMP boys. AMP buddies. AMP. Um it doesn't really look like we're promoting the movie White Noise. It just looks Netflix like we're big fans because, of AMP, which isn't even yeah. in Canada anymore. It's now Metro. It's, I don't even think it's in the US anymore, is it? I think it's like totally gone. Isn't if we it? have any US uh listeners or viewers, please let us know. <laughs> Yeah, we didn't plan this. I am wearing it to honor my grandpa, R.I.P., uh, who was a manager of an AMP for 40 years. Uh, when I tweeted that out, I never know if people take me seriously or not. <laughs> but, uh, it's my true. my grandpa was a manager of an AMP. So if you're not watching the video versions, Eric and I are wearing the exact same crew neck sweater that has an AMP logo on it. Um, it's like we joined that, a net- <laughs> that Netflix sent us uh, for white noise. <laughs> um amp prominently featured in white noise so um yeah uh, you know i spent many of times in an amp when my grandpa and my it was my dad's first job he worked at gm when i was born so he didn't work there anymore but um yeah my my long history with amp and the roarback so i was i was this is one of the coolest like this is a nice ass sweater everyone like it's a it's thick i feel warm and toasty but not uncomfortable it's a nice patch. It's got here. I'll turn around for people, and Eric can show the front. Eric, you're not talking. No, no, I know. I was just letting you. I was letting you show that. Uh, that. Well, back. I thought you had to. You had to describe it for audio listeners. Oh, oh you just right. Sat in silence. <laughs> you sat in silence while no one. That's the best uh, way to go. It just basically has white noise and and uh, I know some it's of like the pricing a, and and things like that. Yeah. From the and like even like I have the um dialer worry-free gum uh right here as well so you know it did come with some cool stuff like a cassette tape of the uh the the song lcd sound system yeah okay i was gonna say rvd for some reason but (laughs) that's a wrestler yeah um how are you man i'm good it's it's one of those we're at that time of year where we've seen a lot because of tiff already and it's award season so we're getting all this kind of you know cool swag that's kind of there to uh persuade us to look at uh this particular movie or specifically dissect it in terms of like oh maybe you should vote for this performance or this score or director etc etc and so you know we haven't had a lot of, of new screenings to go to. And this week is kind of, you know, the, the, the end of November into December, we haven't really gotten a lot in terms of, of new screenings because there isn't much left to see other than Avatar, The Way of Water, and then Violent Night as well. But Violent Night's one of those movies where it's like, it's not maybe a top priority per se and more so kind of a fun, you know, movie night than anything else. Yeah, it's that weird time of year because we saw so much during TIFF. Um, and then we've seen a bunch of screeners or gone to, you know, award screenings and things like that where, yeah, there's only a few left. I mean, I still have a giant list of movies that I need to watch or are going to I'm going to try to watch a bunch of them before our voting deadline. But it's mostly stuff that I missed earlier in the year rather than stuff I need to kind of go to screenings for before 
that deadline on the ninth. So today I even started to, uh, put together my tentative like voting. Um, because I'm like, you know what? I have some time. I'm sitting here. I'm in the mood. I'm going to start to put together what I might vote for. And then if I need to slot in a couple other things or swap things out based on something I see in the next couple of weeks, I'll do that. But, um, I'm pretty happy with my votes so far. I don't know if some of them are yeah, Morbius, every category, every vote. And Tar. Um, <laughs> yeah, and Tar, the two <laughs> perfect movies of the year. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, it's it's a fun time of year, though. Like, even doing it today, like, starting to put down my tentative voting, I was like, I love doing this. Like, it's, I don't know if it's <laughs> meaningful at all or some of the movies I vote for, I go, definitely not making it in, but I got to try at least. I got to hope some people will think, like I think, and and put some of these movies in. Um, because you go through and you're like, all right, what are my top movies of the year? What are my favorite performances? And you kind of go through and uh, pick and choose those. Then you go, okay, what is actually in contention? Because we talk about this every year of being like, how do you vote? Do you vote going, well, here's what I think has a chance. So should I support that? Because this is what the consensus might be. So who do I like the most out of the consensus? Um, or is there someone on the fringe that I want to vote for to try to get in there? Or do you just vote with your heart and go, these are my favorite performances, movies of the year. And I think it's ultimately a mix of both of those things, at least for me, but that's how I found myself kind of putting my tentative votes through today. Yeah. There's, there's a strategy there where you look at like, you know, obviously film Twitter is still in existence as of now. Um, but you kind of look online and, and you do see, you know, films that people are talking about on a consistent basis and, and movies like everything everywhere all at once and Top Gun Maverick um, have really kind of st- stuck around for, for the last six months or so. So you, you, you know that those movies have resonated in a way that isn't just, you know, dealing with recency bias where a lot of stuff now is coming out and people kind of forget about, you know, those films from earlier on. But then also you have, you know, as you mentioned, the, the you got to stay true to you with the passion votes where it's like, do you want to vote for something that you truly love with all your heart and know that it probably won't make it into you know, say best picture or directing, but at the same time, it does have, you know, like something like RRR is a movie that has a lot in there for me. I'm you got to, you got to. Yeah. uh, It has so much passion and it's not, there's still a probability of it happening in maybe one of those categories for a best picture in in critics groups anyways, or, or, or directing, you know? And, and so with that, I have it in both, baby. So with that in mind, you know, you you put that in there and, and sometimes you put that at the top of your list because you feel that maybe there's other people like you that have that same passion and there will be enough of you if you put it high enough in that ranking for, you know, the preferential ballot that maybe, just maybe, you know, your vote will mean something. And like, even with, you know, for, for me this year for Best Actor, it's like, Paul Mascal for After Sun does He's seem... got a shot, man. So yeah. Yeah, but then also I've had my heart broken so many times where it's like, you know, Nicolas Cage seemed like, oh, he could actually go all the way to the Oscars or uh, Ethan Hawke in First Reformed, you know, and, and Cage for Pig and like Ethan Hawke and Glass Onion best supporting actor. Oh man, that would be amazing. I mean, that that he has probably the best line delivery in that movie, but again, you kind of also have to You're good. 
<laughs> you have to be realistic with what you're you're choosing as well to some degree you you have to i think it's it's just tempering your expectations and you have to know that ultimately like the things that you truly love aren't always going to get nominated yeah. even am i gonna vote for chippendale rescue rangers i wanted to but I go, not, no one's doing that. No one's doing that. Also, I don't even know if it's eligible because I think it got nominated for an Emmy. But like, I also, it's a movie and it was one of my favorites of the year. So I'm just like, ah, man, I'm not putting that in there. But it's definitely um, something that I feel like came out this year that I wish got a little bit more love. But I guess on the Emmy front, I just don't pay attention. So I guess it is getting a little love. But. Well, like someone like Justin Long for Best Supporting Actor for Barbarian. Yeah. Like that would, would be, be awesome. an amazing, you know, choice and a, and a, and a very worthy one. But it, again, it's, it's it's a movie that's not like even Nope is struggling this year. I, I feel like in terms of coming back into the conversation. And that is such a great. Movie. I have it in there, too. I, yeah. I, I that's something that's on the fringe for me. Like. You know, even after Sun, Nope, um, even Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, I feel like those movies, I'm like, okay, Black Panther to an extent, but I feel like it's got a good chance just because of the history and everything there too. But not that you need to get behind the indie <laughs> darling Black Panther Wakanda, Wakanda forever. forever. But I'm just saying like those are like, especially Nope, I'm, I'm with you. That is a great movie that I feel like it's it's still in there but i feel like that is something that you almost want to put in your kind of top 10 just to try to get it in there because like there are going to be those things that like uh, me personally like things that have fallen you know away from my mind like the fablemans and 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 uh you know a lot of the kind of stuff that's at you know the heavy favorites kind of thing i'm like i'm not i i honestly there's way more interesting things that i can vote for than that but then i don't want to just like piss away a vote for just because it's a passion vote for me so like you kind of have to do that tricky line of going okay does this legitimately have a shot and if there are enough people like you said that are passionate about it and they put it in there it could squeak in and kind of maybe upset one of those other movies like um yeah like know, even mia goth it? for pearl like it's it's yeah. a long shot but it's it's kind of like one of those things where it's like again mm -hmm critics groups aren't supposed to necess necessarily be the academy awards you know you're, you're you're voting for the thing that you truly feel is worthy of recognition and then you know you are still having to ride that consensus wave to a certain degree as well because you you look at it strategically when you think like okay well does this actually have a shot or am i just basically voting you know is this just a passion vote basically you know or, or something that mm -hmm. maybe will you know, like like another movie that I'm, I'm sure is going to do very well because it hasn't been released theatrically as of yet. And, and it does have a later release is Sarah Pauly's uh, Women Talking, yeah. which also played the festival circuit and has done really well. And like, mm. I'm not worried about Jesse Buckley or, uh, you know, any of the of the cast. And but I'm still but I still want to put Sarah Pauly at like number one or two. And I want to put for Charlotte director, Wells yeah. at number one for directing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's just like, I think that's a long shot, but I, I'm with you on on that. Like, yeah. you know, not to spoil what I'm voting for, but I, like it matters. <laughs> I mean, we'll talk about um, it more once we've, yeah, we've actually voted, submitted yeah. our, our votes and the nomination. But I had Sarah Pauly in there as well. And like, um, you, you need the little i want top gun to show up everywhere <laughs> like, well editing man um, i think that that movie yeah. is so cinematography well editing um yeah. yeah and like that's a movie where like again like back in january of of, of this year 
Would we have called that? No, <laughs> never, never. Like even just hoping that it would be a good movie was something yeah. that was kind of like now a, it's a this fantasy. phenomenon that like it looks like it's a shoe in um in multiple categories. Well, even the talk um, of Tom Cruise potentially being one of like because I, I have him. <laughs> That best actor category is pretty weak. So that's what I mean. When I was going through it, I was like, all right, Daniel Craig's going in there for me. Tom Cruise is going in there for me. Uh, Paul Mescal's going in there for me. Um, I even had Diego Calva from, from Babylon and uh, Babylon showed up way more than it's interesting when you do these things that might be more recency bias, but I really did like that movie. I know we can't technically review it, but we posted social media um, comments on it, but like, um, I'm just, it's whenever I do this, it's interesting because I have my best of list on Letterboxd, but then it's always different when you're putting together these kind of things of going, oh, it's interesting what's showing up more often, what lingered longer, what am I thinking about more, what do I want to kind of champion and things like that. So, yeah, and there's um, stuff as well that it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of obvious and like there is a narrative there to kind of be like, oh, you, you know, most people seem to be very passionate about like Ki Hui Kwan for me oh, is yeah. still absolutely the number one supporting actor slot. And like, just, I don't think there's a performance that even though I, I, I love weirdly Mark Ryan. <laughs> I put him in there, dude. I put him in there. I had to, <laughs> I put Ed, would you say Ed Norton's a lead or no, supporting? He's supporting. I, I would say yeah, like, right? because it is an ensemble piece. Yeah. I would say it's hard. He, it's so difficult. Well, Craig yeah. would be lead. Yeah, right. And then everyone else is supporting is Janelle Monet supporting. Yeah. Yes. Right. But, but I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a lot going on there, but, but you look at something like, I mean, category fraud is always another thing that's been talked about, especially right. in the acting categories, because you know, you have something like the Banshees of Inishirin, right? Where like Brendan Gleeson is basically a co-lead. He's not. Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. Barry Keegan uh, is, is supporting. supporting have him in there. You know, and, and Carrie Condon is supporting where Gleeson and, and Farrell are co-leads. And like as much as like th- this is you being the con- this would be me being the contrarian. It's like I would vote because I really like uh, Banshees and, and I probably will yeah. end up voting for Colin there. But it's almost I, like so did I. I would want to Even... also vote for Colin though for like after Yang instead just to be like I, dude I'm with you it. for like or the fucking the Batman for supporting yeah. that well, nominate him four times there's, there's another guy that I think is actually very much worthy of a supporting nomination is John Turturro for the Batman mm-hmm. um, but nobody's talked about that I mean I think the Batman will no, do well that would be a wasted vote like I think Batman will show up in cinematography and and score, um, score yeah but John um, Turturro is, get, is still yeah. worthy of a supporting nomination, in my opinion. But that's one that just never – it never took flight in Materialized. Any way. Yeah. yeah, no one's really talking about him at all. Like that's the kind of thing where you, you want to put him in there. That's why like people like Mark Rylance or Ed Norton, I'm like I, – I think even Ed Norton's kind of a long shot. But like I think he's so great in, in Glass Onion and – um yeah, it's it's been fun kind of putting it together. But you were right about the best actor category this year. That's why, like, I'm like, I don't know. I, I put Colin Farrell. Like, after seeing Banshees a second time, like, I have no like, there. Everyone in that movie is is really really good. Um, and I loved uh, Barry Keegan the second time. Um, so yeah, it's it's been fun kind of even throwing this together. The best young actor actress category I got to, and I was like. I forget what the parameters of this is. And I don't oh, the even age like, thing, right? yeah. but then obviously, um, uh, Frankie Corio, uh, Frankie Corio from after sun. Um, but then I'm like, what is the age range on that? Like, is it 25 and under? Is it 
20 something and under yeah, the, the um nathaniel rogers actually does a really good job of this every okay. year where he puts down like the the age range and like who's actually and then, eligible okay cool okay because yeah. i kind of needed that because i threw people in there of like even gregory mann who who does the voice of pinocchio in gdt's pinocchio and then but i'm like does someone like amber mid thunder from prey she's Qualified. 25 yeah. is that it's too like old i don't know or, like yeah. i don't know so i had her in there too because i'm like i'd love to give prey some love but like uh, it's not gonna you show up anywhere other than that <laughs> other than that category it's not gonna show up anywhere but um but it's also cool uh, to see when when awards groups think outside the box a little bit as well for like, categories yeah because I, I mean the gotham awards were just the other day as we're recording yeah. this but also the spirit award nominations were announced and seeing something like marcel the shell with shoes on in editing i think is a really cool nomination Inspired, yeah. because when you when when i had the chance to talk to you know um dean fleischer camp he was talking about how he was writing the script and editing the movie almost simultaneously and like how the the story was changing as he was making the movie so the editing is just as important as the animation is and it does qualify for animation as well so you have movies which like is awesome marcel the shell with shoes on and pinocchio kind of being even though turning red is is incredible and i still think is probably the best animated movie of the year you have stuff that isn't just simply disney movies you know and like that is also really wonderful to see where there is healthy competition within that category i mean obviously shrek won you know back in the day but um it's it's we nice saw the oscar live in person we sure did we got its autograph and everything i mean puss in boots comes out in a couple or a month i guess but yeah and so like again like it doesn't always have to be one thing right like it, it it's the same thing with best picture best picture doesn't have to be all indie movies are all kind of social or depressing dramas or yeah it can it can be Top like, Gun Maverick. Like, like, I guess I'll go into this a little bit now. One of the things that I really did like about the Everything Everywhere All at Once press conference that had uh, the Daniels. Which also won Best Picture at the Gotham Awards. Let's just yeah. lump all this together. Yeah, and yeah. Ki Hui Kwan won supporting, uh, uh, the supporting, because uh, per- they're, they're, they're gender neutral now, uh, the supporting person uh, oh. uh, uh, win. So, yeah. That's interesting. So the thing I really loved, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis uh, and Ki Hui Kwan were also a part of the discussion. One thing that that uh daniel kwan said that really kind of stuck with me is that you know the last question is like what do you think this movie will be looked upon years to come and like what does it mean now to people and kwan's response was like it was creating something that was a bit of both but it wasn't necessarily thought of like becoming an an awards film when they were making it but there was that combination of the world that we live in now and specifically the industry, uh, the film industry is so, you know, basically divided in, in what it's doing. You know, there's, there's this one side where it's all superhero movies and big budget films. And, you know, the studio system is making those movies in and popcorn out. money movies. Yeah. Yeah. And they're kind of overwhelming the smaller films from getting not even just made, but, films that are made from getting into the theater Noticed, yeah yeah and 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 any kind of you know eyes on on the screen so with that it was kind of a everything everywhere all at once is kind of this hybrid of the two things where it's like you can have both you can make both within something like everything everywhere all at once where it does play both comedically and both 
you know, action and, and, and adventure and, you know, playing up the idea of, you know, classic Kung Fu movies and things like that. But then also you can find depth and empathy and understanding within the character development and, you know, the, the personal arcs that everybody has. And that kind of felt like, oh, that's a perfect everything everywhere all at once is that perfect middle ground of two worlds coming together in a way that clashes, but also complements yeah. each other. And I think that's why it's done so well this year. Like they, they made a move. They shot this thing in fucking 38 days. And you know, it's incredible to think it's that, wild. Like, Just like going back to the interview we even had with them. Like, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's crazy. And it's still my favorite movie of the year. And um, I will be, um, screaming from the rooftops during award season um, for it to, um, you know, win everything. Uh, no pun intended. Um, All at once. Ju- <laughs> yeah. Jumping off that too, um, I watched the uh, Hollywood Reporter Roundtable, the Writers' Roundtable. Um, do you watch these each year, Eric, or no? I do, um, but... It, some, it, it depends on who it is. That's kind of how I take it. Yes, and you know what? Like, I I watched a little bit of it, but I I have to be honest, I don't like um the moderator. Um, mm-hmm. he's not Scott Feinberg. Yeah, yeah, not a very good person. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Scott. I like he's just tweeted some stuff recently that's really kind of. Been I don't offensive. know much, so I I'll yeah I, I will I I understand. Um, but I I will definitely look into that. But I I think that aside. It's about the actual like I, I think the moderator should stay out of it as, as much as possible, to be yeah. honest, in these things. Like I, I get that you kind of have to guide the conversation and ask questions, but like I almost wish it was kind of that actors on actors kind of style where it's just let them all talk to one another and ask questions about each other's movies, because I found that stuff the most interesting Um where. You know, you had um, uh, Jordan Peele, Ryan Johnson, Mark McDonough, uh, Daniel Kwan, Tony Kushner, and uh, Chinoye Chuku. Yes, the director um, of uh, Till. Of Till, yeah. yeah. And ironically, they're all the directors of their movies as well, except for Tony Kushner, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, um, which I thought was interesting. I'm like, in a, in a, I guess that I, I understand why they do that, but. Um, it's like, oh well, we have too many people for the directors roundtable, so let's put them all over. On, well, they're on they're the they're multi hyphenates, right? Like yeah. that's that's the thing. And then it's also just interesting that you have both Tony Kushner and Martin McDonough sitting at the same playwrights, table and they're yeah. playwrights. You know, like that's- yeah, they brought that up, and that was some of the like. That's why I like these roundtables. Just getting a you know a bunch of um, you know people who are very similar backgrounds or very different backgrounds, but all kind of trying to do the same thing. And each one of these movies being very different from one another um, was just kind of really interesting to hear them all talk. And even Daniel Kwan brought up some of the things you already mentioned and just hearing Jordan Peele talk about, you know, Nope and, you know, comparing it to Spielberg's work and then Tony Kushner coming in and they talked about um, improv and like how, and Kushner was like, I, I hate fucking improv. It's always <laughs> awful. <laughs> like, and then other people kind of defending it, like Ryan Johnson or Daniel Kwan and really eloquently, like kind of, you know, they're not, uh, they're disagreeing with the person, but doing it very respectfully, right. Of going like, I understand why Tony Kushner, who is a playwright and who, you know, the written word is is the the movie where someone like in everything everywhere all at once or even in glass onion 
Well, Glass Onion gonna... though is interesting because when we were at that press conference, you know, everybody was talking about said how that the yeah Ryan Johnson created such a structured environment that they felt so free to kind of go as big as they wanted to, but also kind of you know play within the written words, you know, and they and I think he mentions that right, like and Jordan Peele even brought it up in a funny way, being like, you always want actors to think they're improvising or adding something but really they're doing what you want and then which was funny and then daniel kwan being like you know i always they all talked about getting the ver their version like uh, uh at least one or two takes of what is written on the script but then like people like daniel kwan going well then i go just one give me whatever the fuck you want. Like, just do whatever you want. And like, and he's like, and sometimes he's like, yeah, nine times out of 10, it's bad. <laughs> he's like, but he's like that one time you get like that magical kind of thing where they, they do something better than what you wrote down. And I thought all that kind of stuff was really interesting, but that was coming from them as directors as well as screenwriters, right? Where some, it's funny, Tony Kushner, the only guy there that was purely a screenwriter was the one going fucking bro <laughs> like no not a chance not a chance he's like uh he's like i've had fights with spielberg about this kind of stuff and like he's like we got into it because of uh you know these young actors on on west side story wanted to kind of put their own spin on things and i he's a like a future a future like, war games with tony kushner yeah. versus spielberg <laughs> And the double ring steel cage. Um, so that was, it was a fun watch. Like I do like those round tables moderator aside. I don't know much about um, him. You can look um, it up and you'll see it right away. I will after this, yeah. but or while we're recording, but um, I, I just like a group of contemporaries. That was a word that I was looking for, like sitting together and discussing their craft. Like that's why these things are very interesting to me and they should be putting this out as a podcast. Like I they should. Yeah, I, no, I, I think it, I, I mean, don't know it, why they don't, because I'm going, I'm like, oh, I could just listen to this in bed, but maybe you want people to connect who's speaking. Cause maybe not yeah. everyone will know their voices and stuff like that. So I get it, but I feel like I would love this as a podcast where, you know, each year they do so many of these, even if it's like a season of it where you only put out, you know, a bunch of them for each category, but um, or one for each category, but, um, well, there's similar there, there, I mean, like, you know, bouncing off of that, there are other avenues as well, not just the Hollywood reporters round table, which is, is I, I do like a lot of them, but like, if you want to kind of follow uh, a podcast that isn't the untitled movie podcast or untitled movie reviews, uh, the DGA podcast is always mm -hmm. a good one to go to because it's usually, it's usually a director on director. Right? Yeah. It's one-on-one. -on -one. And, and one of the more recent ones was Steven Spielberg talking to Paul Thomas Anderson and, and Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, PTA was brought up multiple times on that screenwriters <laughs> as, as he should be. Um, and, and, PTA was the moderator for um, the the post Fableman screening, and like hearing those two guys talk to each other is is really wonderful to hear. And and sometimes the, those pairings are just really interesting because it's like sometimes it's like you know either a colleague or somebody that you know is a generation either below or above, and seeing how those you know two worlds interact. And then sometimes yeah, you you just see two friends who have worked together, you know, on other projects having a conversation about movies. So yeah, the DGA podcast is always one to kind of go back to, especially it's, it's updated pretty recently. Like it is every week or so based on, you know, it's not even award stuff. Like sometimes it's just like what's coming out this week. There's mm -hmm. a really good sort of like post-screening interview. 
Yeah, those are always the best when, it, again, it's contemporaries, whether it's two or a round table. Like the A24 podcast is that as well, usually, where like I listened to the Nathan Fielder and Alexa Demi episode, which was great. And I don't listen to many like film podcasts. It's It's weird because like we do one so frequently that it's like, I don't want to go listen to one after. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or like in my free time, like it's like I don't want it to influence me or I don't want it to like or I I talk about it so much. I don't need to listen to others do it like I still again, I watch kind of funny in review a lot and their screencast stuff, but that's so casual that it's just friends talking about something. It doesn't like it both feels like something we do and 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 not where or I guess I'm just so familiar with those guys that it's just uh, I don't mind throwing that on. But like I other than these roundtables every Oscar season where I kind of jump in and, and listen to contemporaries discuss stuff that um, I don't listen to much other uh, film content. It's more like video games and wrestling <laughs> sports. Well, it's always um, good to have like a year in review kind of show like that as well to kind of go back and be like, Oh, you know, these are some of the movies throughout the entire year that kind of defined you know the the the, the oh, culture yeah. and and what everybody was talking about or seeing at the theater or watching at home or catching up with and it's like oh yeah like you know nope came out the same year as you know everything everywhere all at once and you know same thing with banshees or the fablemans it's like all these movies were released throughout the last 12 months and now we're kind of looking at it more as a whole than just simply like going through month to month and like seeing again something like everything everywhere all at once having its you know initial run as just you know wanting to be a, a specialty release in march become a cultural phenomenon by the summer and how it really was one of the few films like you know even though i didn't like elvis but elvis everything everywhere i gotta watch was, elvis still that's like one that i kind of will watch before right. voting even though i don't expect to like vibe with it but i'm curious yeah all oh, the snowman i gotta go stir I'm my chili snowman. keep talking yeah and 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 top gun maverick were the films that really kept this year going you know that first quarter into the summer even you know and, and then nope coming up in july you know those were the films that really helped you know the the cinemas you know sustain themselves uh the the multiplexes specifically and so with that in mind, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to reward those movies, not only for, you know, how well made they are or how much, you know, passion they have, but it's, it's a way of kind of like, these were, these were life preservers for the theaters in a lot of ways. Totally. Yeah. And I, I feel like that someone tweeted this and I don't know who it was, so I'm sorry, but they were like the first half of this year feels almost superior to the second half. And yeah. I don't know, like, like, I feel like, the awards baity movies this year aren't really hitting as hard as maybe they'd want them to, or as or the I want them to, or like, yeah, changing, right. And which is great. Cause I don't think that all awards movies should have to come out in November and December. Right. Like, so it's nice to see things that you just mentioned, like everything everywhere all at once be in the conversation, Top Gun Maverick, RRR, even to an extent. Um, 
something like uh, Marcel Deschel with shoes on after Yang won't probably show up anywhere. But these are some of my favorites of the year. Chippendale Rescue Rangers, <laughs> um, uh, the Batman, uh, Nope came out, even though that was still in July and, and earlier, but like it's still in the first half of the year kind of. Right. So yeah. um, it, it's interesting because I felt like I've said this whole year that it's been such a banger year for movies, but I do feel like that slowed down a little bit. Like even I keep bringing up like I'm not on the Fableman's hate train like other people. Um, I think I I agree with people who are saying that Paul Dano and Michelle Williams aren't super great. Like they're well, they're very fine, stylized performances, yeah. right? That are and that I don't are like divisive. that. But but yeah. I think the um, second half of that movie is the stronger part of that film, and I think that ending is so good that it's like a lot of people do forgive yeah. the things that don't work. Oh yeah, them. a great ending is yeah. is important to any movie for it to kind of stick with you. But Fablemans has kind of faded from my uh, faded Fablemans. My, yeah, and but there are obviously things like Babylon, Glass Onion, Women Talking, um, uh, you know, all the Beauty and the Bloodshed, uh, After Sun that have come out in that latter half of the year bones and all still creeping up too it's it's stuck with you're me. still chewing on it huh? um hey <laughs> i actually am like it's one of those movies that you know i i didn't know how i felt i still ultimately liked it but it has lingered with me more than some of these other movies that i mentioned right like even triangle of sadness kind of fading out but i don't know if that's all just kind of like because i saw them during tiff and i haven't really thought about them much and like um, but it's well, been with, interesting. And, going back to the fable ones for a second, like it, it's yeah. interesting. I've, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot and, and, and talking to some people about this where it's, it's interesting because the fable is, is a very personal story to Spielberg specifically. And obviously Tony Kushner was there to kind of help guide him through. And he's talked about it being like therapy sessions when they were writing the script, but watching this movie, and I still like the fable quite a bit as well. It's just, I, I think the second half of I it is stronger feel strongly about it. No, no. I think Gabriel LaBelle is the best in show yeah. in that movie as, as, as Sammy. Um, oh, there's someone who would be in the young actors category. Yeah. He's, he's fantastic in the movie. Um, but I found that West side story was more weirdly personal for Spielberg in a way, because Spielberg for so long had been wanting to make a musical. And he is a filmmaker that is so precise, you know, in, in both, you know, his tech technological range, but also in his storytelling that it kind of felt perfect in terms of how the choreography and the editing and just the, 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 the tone of that movie played out so perfectly. And it felt more intimate to who Spielberg was as a filmmaker than the Fablemans. And then with the Fablemans, you look at the beats that the Fablemans have. Well, he's, either written you know in his own scripts or been sort of drawn to other stories that have had those elements and felt more personal within you know close encounters and et uh and war of the worlds even than the fablemans we've gotten a lot of that and, and you even mentioned it i think with you know when we did the review of, of armageddon time where you know 
we it's got way a lot more of, interesting. Sorry, go ahead. Well, well, with with James Gray, like we got more of James Gray in Ad Astra than maybe a. We That's were what the of, point I was going to make. Or the yards, like, even his first, his second movie. So yeah. to me, it's more interesting when a filmmaker puts themselves into something else rather than them just doing a straightforward autobiography. Yeah. And I think I've realized that this year because we've gotten so many of them and some of them are good. I think the Fablemans is, is obviously a very good movie. It's again, everything you mentioned from a technical standpoint, it's perfect. It's just like some of the performances a little over the top for me and it's just kind of faded from my memory. And I do, I agree with you with Gabriel LaBelle's fantastic and there's a lot of good stuff. Oh, and Judd Hirsch, I think is a lot Um, of fun too. Yeah. Same. The whole Judd Hirsch for supporting actor. I'm like, guys, it's no, one scene. It's one scene. It's, I mean, it's one give it scene. To David Come Lynch on. at that point. Uh, I know. I'm like, I, I don't. I, I'm not saying you can't be amazing in one scene and get a best supporting actor nomination, but I'm like, oh, I, I love Judd Hirsch too. Multiple times, but I know it has. It's just like. Come on. <laughs> I don't know. Like I'm like, I get someone can be great in one scene, but I'm like, it's not a, a best cameo. Uh, award, come on! You got to have something of a little bit more substance, and that doesn't cameo? mean would you get would you get uh, that for the yeah. holidays? Yeah, uh, <laughs> God, um, I'm just saying, like, I'm not saying any one scene performance can't be so impactful that it shouldn't win an award, but like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just hating hating on ha- Fablemans, ha- ha- hating on Hablemans right now. You know, I um, I don't but... disagree with you, but I do feel that like sometimes an actor can walk away with the movie and you're thinking about totally. them even when they're not on screen. And like the, the, the name that always came up or like the kind of that, the, the, the perfect example of that was when Beatrice straight won for network. And she's basically in two scenes in the movie and her screen time is like less than 10 minutes in total. And she won supporting actress that year. And then like, you look at actors that maybe have mm-hmm. one or two scenes that get nominated for oscars like again like another name that comes up is someone like william hurt for history of violence who's not even in the film until like the last 10 20 minutes of the movie and literally has oh, yeah, like, he's this incredible one yeah. sequence with vigo mortensen and even though ed harris was in basically half of the film it is amazing it's so <laughs> subtle and, and and really wonderful that performance is 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 so God, I gotta watch showy. history of violence what a movie yeah what a movie one one of david cronenberg's best kind of quote unquote accessible films but yeah straight straightforward movies yeah. but like <laughs> but still Cronenbergian in, in, in many yeah. ways but but yeah you 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 go and look at like certain like I mean you can you can even break it down when it comes I mean we we're talking about category fraud you know and like the you know lead performances getting into supporting categories you know like the first time I ever ever was kind of aware of that was with Jake Gyllenhaal in Brokeback Mountain mm-hmm. where that's a co-lead and then he gets nominated for supporting actor, which was the same year that William Hurt got nominated for A History of Violence. So it's like that year you have like one end where it's like the 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 the, the lead, cameo, the leading then, man is is supporting, and then the cameo. One guy in it too much, one in it too little. Too little. So, yeah, and, yeah. And, it, and it was also just funny when they showed like because it was Nicole Kidman presenting the award, and that was the year George Clooney won for Syriana, and when they present each award that year, they had these mon- like these kind of, um, what do they call it? I'm, I'm, I'm blanking on the words. Like it, it like almost like a, a collage collage of, of, yeah. of, 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 of scenes where the characters were in the film, in the so movie. Have, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. you have like Clooney in multiple scenes and then it kind of like does this weird kind of swipe where it, like it shows you the clip. And then with William Hurt, it's like basically one scene 
collage. If your then- whole performance can fit in your Oscar clip, you should like. Sorry, it's a cameo. It's not supporting. Um, I'm, you know, I'm being sort of facetious, but um, yeah, it's going to be a fun year. We'll we'll talk a lot about awards over the next, you know, two months. At least at least this year, it's earlier again. It's not like in March. Right. Like that's what I think I'm looking forward to the most is that I guess the Oscars are still like in February. Right. Like late February. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's the thing. But, though, we'll probably still be sick of it all. Even the oh, stuff totally, that yeah. we like, like everything everywhere all at once. Just talking about it, it at, no. at Nas. Well, just not in terms of the movie, but talking about its, its chances awards potential and, stuff and things like yeah. that. And like, I guess another good thing to kind of like, like just, you know, since we're talking about awards, it was announced that all 23 categories this year at the Oscars will be presented live during the, the actual telecast. Uh, Variety uh, had the exclusive article on that. Which is great. Yeah. Good steps. It'll be a long ceremony again. I don't know. But it'll I, we've also talked be very way too safe, much about how right? to. Yeah. Because like, I don't know how they the fix it. But yeah, it's going to be a very safe year for that kind of stuff. But. Um, good to see that all of the awards will be presented on the show live. Um, all righty. So we're already 40 minutes in, which I feel like that was all intro stuff, even though it wasn't, we talked a lot award stuff, but we have a lot, uh, to get to, and we have a special in like a, you know, 28 minutes cinema will be saved. The super Mario <laughs> brothers trailer will be premiering. Eric and I will watch it live, uh, in the edit on YouTube. Uh, I'll insert uh the video um uh, uh, nintendo's really kind of strict with this stuff so i don't know maybe i'll just the audio i don't know what the hell i'm gonna do but we're gonna react to it live and then talk about it in 28 minutes so if we're in the middle of talking about something else um i'll cut eric off because this is the most important thing to happen in 2022 so and probably 2023 uh, right and, and 2024 oh, I, when it wins four. best picture yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but other than that, dude, I, I, like what else have you have you been watching anything else? I know it's the holidays. I know no, you're not a big holiday guy, but yeah. um, have you I been celebrate watching Festivus? Fair. So you just watched that Seinfeld episode over sure and over did. again. Uh, no, I, I, I did rewatch a couple of things and, and I'll be quick because they're one. I mean, I just rewatched Castle. You only have 28 minutes before 27 minutes now before well, Matt, cinema you know is saved. Me. That's 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 not a lot of time. <laughs> that's so, one movie. Rewatch Casablanca, uh, the 80th anniversary of the film. Still a banger. Uh, still one of the greatest movies ever made. And it, it, again, like you look at a film like that. It's when, been a while, but. When it was, it's been a while, uh, when it was made, like it wasn't really expected to be anything other than just like a studio movie that would make some money. And now it's kind of one of the quintessential classics, classics of all time, but also just like, like it's so much a part of pop culture. And like, that's, it's just, it's fascinating to look back at a movie like that, which again, which like the expectations of it was like, oh no, we'll make a movie with, you know, Humphrey Bogart and, and you know, this thing will kind of maybe make a little bit of money and then, you know, we'll move on to the next thing. And that's how the studio system worked in, in, you know, the 1940s. And it was just kind of like, okay, you know, we're, we're working on things that are just basically there to, uh, you know, make a quick profit and then we'll make something else. And, you know, it is so beautifully made and memorable and haunting and, you know, Ingrid Bergman as well. Like, it's like, you just think about like key moments in classic scenes and, you know, uh, the anthem sequence, but also, you know, certain lines of dialogue, like Claude Rains at the end saying round up the usual suspects and stuff like that. It's just all very iconic and ingrained 
in movie culture, but in pop culture in general, but in, in, in just, you know, daily references. Like, even if you haven't seen the movie, you still get those references because you probably have seen them somewhere else, you know? And like, that's kind of a very powerful thing to, to think about. And just having been at the Academy Museum um, recently, like it just, you know, you, you think about that a little bit more about the legacy of certain movies and what it means to stand the test of time. So, yeah. Nice. I have seen Casablanca once. It's been a long time and I didn't understand anything you just referenced. So, <laughs> well, apparently I, my whole conversation there is it doesn't, it doesn't work there, but, but I'm a moron. I, I don't, I don't like, I don't you get the line play things. it again, Sam, right? Like you, you sort of, well, the, um, naked, the naked gun play our song yeah. again. And then they start, he starts playing ding dong. The witch is dead. Probably didn't, of, he probably didn't even understand the reference when I saw naked gun. <laughs> no, but it's there, right? Like it's, it's, I it's no, I understand that. I'm yeah, I'm an idiot and most people would. Um, but I just, I also, I'm, I mean, I, I just don't have a great memory. Like I don't retain, um, things. And I also watched it like in film school where, you know, it's kind of work, you know, and I think that's like the, Oh, and it's the only time I ever watched it. And, um, I just don't watch old movies. I just, it's, this is my worst year ever for watching stuff at home. Um, at least in recent, since the the letterbox years, I'll call it like of since tracking, um, tracking everything I watched where I'm like, I'm not even going to hit 200 movies this year, which is like, you know, to some people they're like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's still a lot of movies. Like I'm still at 150 something, but like, I bet you 80% of that are movies we covered. Right. Like yeah. I feel like, or saw it TIFF um, and like, that's probably yeah. where that biggest boom is. Right. Like, Oh, like totally. Like I saw almost 40 movies at TIFF, which if you don't count that, that's only a hundred and just over a hundred movies this year. We've probably reviewed two to three movies a week on average, sometimes less, sometimes more. So like I haven't really watched a ton at home. And then on top of that, I don't watch old movies. It's just like, I, it's something I've always talked about that I want to be better at, but except for I, Jingle uh, All the Way, which I'm sure you'll be watching every soon. year. Yeah. yeah, every year you got to, you got to. I've watched the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special twice, but I haven't seen Casablanca since I was 21. Let's see, you <laughs> no, bench press your way time. out of this one. Um, but I do like. There's just a, a giant list of of things that I gotta watch and or rewatch and watch again, but um. There's something I just my attention span at home, man. That's why, like, I want to make an effort to go to Lightbox more often to see stuff. And I wish they just played some of these classics, which they do all the time. But like, I just need to be better at going because like sitting in a theater and watching it like that's how I'm going to actually, you know, even watching weird comparison, but watching the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special again with Nevis um, last night. Is like I got so much more out of it watching it with her because when I watch things by myself at home, it's not that I'm not paying attention. It's just like, and with Guardians, we did it that day where we kind of watched it quickly after we recorded half of a podcast and had to jump back into it. So it felt more like work and it was the middle of the day. I watched it on my laptop. Like I was like, oh, it was fun, but I don't have much to say about it. Um, but when I sat down with Nevis at home, and this goes with anything, I'm rewatching Andor with her as well. Um, I I make an effort when I'm watching with another person to be respectful, put my phone away, sit down and engage with what's on the TV with the other person and then talk about it with them after or, or whatever or or, or 
you know, have that experience with them. I'm not on my phone. I'm not uh, watching it while I'm editing or not that I do that with stuff we review, but like if I watch stuff at home, typically like I'm distracted. There's more distractions. Like, yeah. Yeah. Where if I'm watching it with someone else, I'm not, or if I'm at the theater, I'm paying attention to it. So like I enjoyed Guardians so much more the second time because I was, it was at night watching it with my wife. We were both locked in. And like I watched it and I and I really, really loved you it. You were really like, grooting for it. Yeah. <laughs> and then even something like Spirited, which isn't a great movie, but I sat down, watched it with my wife, right atmosphere, and really loved it. Um, so I think with like a lot of these, like if I sat down and watched Casablanca on Blu-ray, like here, I'd fucking it'd probably take me four tries to get through it. I'd go on my phone, I'd miss something, and I'd be like, do I want to rewind it? No, <laughs> then like, which isn't just isn't the way that you should be watching Casablanca. So like it's I got to go to the theater or I got to like have a classic movie night with my wife or with you or something like that to actually like sit down and watch these fucking things. But um, I didn't make a time code. So when do you think we started talking about what we've been watching? Like the 40 minute mark? <laughs> <laughs> you're asking me. Uh, I but, but I know what you're saying where it's like there there is. Not to say that there is an obligation when you're watching, you know, a movie with a friend or a partner or what have you, but there is something where there is a certain amount of of, of respect. But it's 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 weird as well because like I also like watching stuff by myself because I don't feel like any stress about like, oh, I recommended this movie and we're watching this together and like I feel bad if the other person isn't liking it. You know what I mean? Like if I don't like the movie that I'm watching who cares? Yeah. Who cares? Right. You know, like it's one of those things where it's like, oh, it's like, you know, I'm relaxed and I'm still, you know, taking it in and enjoying the experience overall because it's watching a movie. But if I'm with somebody that, you know, I'm like, hey, Matt, let's watch Motherless Brooklyn together. <laughs> and then you are not liking it. I feel bad because I was the one recommending it, you know, and 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 you went off my recommendation so that's where it's like especially when it's it's somebody that is more personal i find the more personal it is it is more awkward or difficult and you know that that comes up I agree from with that that does come up from time to time with like family as well where like y- you know we've talked about that on the show oh you recommend movies and then your parents watch yeah. it and they're like what the fuck is wrong with you why did you uh, recommend <laughs> eo eric <laughs> i don't know what so... you're talking about yeah, no, I get, I get you with that. But so I already kind of covered what I've been watching. I watched Spirited and uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special for the second time. So you can check out a review of the holiday special. My thoughts have changed. I'm a little higher on it now. Uh, we were a little bit more medium on it when we reviewed it. Um, but I think it's, you know, it, it's just enjoyable, super, super enjoyable. And so is Spirited. Like if you like Christmas movies and like, uh holiday or sorry just musicals in general like you know i i again i'm not the biggest fan of ryan reynolds lately but like he fits the role and i'm a sucker for will ferrell so uh in will ferrell christmas movies like i love elf so um i uh, (laughs) i was laughing at somebody brought it up recently where uh and it was on twitter and again i apologize i don't know who it was but it was amazing where like um after Elf became such a success, there were interviews with John Favreau saying, "Yeah, we're looking into uh, writing uh, Elf two and, and and having a second film, and we're kind of gearing up to do that in the next couple of years." And then there's another interview with like Will Ferrell for something that was a, a, another junket, but like around the same time. And it's like, "Yeah, we're not doing that. 
And then there's yeah. another interview with John Favreau. Don't they saying, not like each other? Oh, they or hate each other. And apparently yeah. James Caan was the one who's like, yeah, Will Ferrell and, and, and Favreau did not get along uh, on set. So it's always funny seeing those. Like, it's like a weird back and forth thing where it's like, again, like he, he's done it a couple times with Favreau was like, yeah, we're, we're, we're looking into it now. And then the next time Farrell was on a junket for something, it's like, no, it's not happening. It's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm it's, shutting yeah. this down. Well, there's an elf, like a an elf. I don't know if it's a dig or if it's a, you know, uh, but someone dressed as Buddy the Elf comes up to Will Farrell at a, ho- a Christmas costume party. And he goes, you look stupid <laughs> and like walks away. And like, I think that's the joke, but um yeah. Uh, I'm like, right, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I don't think we're ever gonna get an elf too. But like, I still, I, I think that is a Christmas classic. We've talked about, it. we did a whole episode which you guys should go back and listen to if you haven't, where Eric and I did, uh, what is the most recent Christmas classic? And Eric, I'll throw it out there, spirited in contention. It's like I know well, you're probably not gonna like released, it, but like, so, yeah, you know. that's what I'm saying. But it, we'll have to wait a year or two to see if it stands that test of time because we had that whole episode where we talked about what the most recent christmas classic was and i think elf was up there right of the most recent um yes and yeah. that was elf two- i mean we talked about polar express a little bit as well arthur christmas was another one that came up a couple times um this year i mean will yes. violent night yes will will violent night be the film that is you know this year's christmas movie um, or the Christmas movie to rewatch in years to come. And, you know, people will dissect it to the point where it becomes obnoxious and people are still talking about Die Hard, whether or not it's a Christmas movie or not. Who cares? Please stop that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it is a Christmas movie and it's not a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie in the sense that it it's takes It's whatever place. you want it to be. If yeah. you want it to be a Christmas movie, it's a Christmas movie. Where if works, you want to watch it in July, watch it in July. Like, that's it's the just thing, like, though. That, that That is the one thing that I will say where, like, Die Hard Most works, Christmas movies... You, you wouldn't don't watch, watch in, in July. The summer. You <laughs> yeah. like you are like bordering on serial killer mode. If you're oh, watching. if you watch Elf in June, yeah. you're out of your yeah. mind. <laughs> <laughs> or like you know, even It's a Wonderful Life, which isn't really like that's the one people should be debating more because it's only a Christmas movie in the last act of the film. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like if you're watching Elf or Polar Express or you know any of those like classic you know uh, stop motion animated. Uh, christmas musical movies in the summer or something like that then yeah like you're a you're, you're a sociopath you're yeah. gonna be put on a list uh and you know but if you watch die hard twice. so you're kind of making an argument that die hard is not a christmas no, movie then what, because, I, what i'm saying is because you can watch die hard yeah, during like you can throw that on any time of the year but you can still watch it during the holidays and still consider it a holiday movie yeah. because it does take place on december 24th you know, it, it thematically, it's a Christmas party. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's and we not, talked about even in the guardian special of like most Christmas movies, just like Christmas is just happening. It's not like a necessary plot device or no. part of the plot or anything like that. I mean, jingle than, all the way weirdly has become uh, a modern. And, and when I say like, I know it's the nineties, but like in terms of our generation growing up with movies it seems to have gone on to become kind of a a classic in its own right because people do revisit it a christmas cult classic yeah in in that same way where like it's a bad movie but i love it it's terrible it's 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 god awful although i was looking for turbo men and boosters on ebay uh were you yeah i was (laughs) yes and there's one where like there's one where you can get them and they're like they're the authentic version nobody wants booster 
Booster's awesome, man. Um, yeah, I know. From Planet Hollywood, and they're going for like five thousand dollars. Jesus Christ! Okay, <laughs> yeah, he, has he risen. Rose on <laughs> no way, he was born. born not Rose. <laughs> that was Easter. Easter. Damn it, we we fucked that up totally. Well, I'm a bad Catholic, and I'm I, yeah. I mean, I was baptized, but I don't consider myself Catholic. So. Well, same. I I yeah. I'm kind of agnostic. Bad um, yeah. Uh, what else you want to, anything else you've been watching? I mean, yeah, we both, I, you, we both finished Andor, right? We, yes. we might review this season. I don't know if we will, we can talk about it. Rick's here road, too. man. Like it all came together perfectly. Like it's it so is good. the best season or best star Wars show. Like I think it's oh, even easily. better than the Mandalorian. Sorry. Oh, I agree. Love yep. you still, but I love um, Grogu, but it is, it's a better television show. Mandalorian might be more fun if you can argue that but yeah. like i i think this is a better television this show is for, yeah. this is star wars for adults uh and no it, but but it but it is in a way like it's actually treating the material with respect in the sense that it's looking at the story first and it's not necessarily like we're not building a screenplay based on the iconography that's come before the canon that's come before that that is there and that's probably going to play more into it in season two obviously but yeah. it felt like, okay, let's actually tell a great story before, you know, adding in all of this other stuff that is a part of the Star Wars universe. It's the perfect way to use it. You know, uh, they looked at what Star Wars is. Okay, what are the main, you know, pieces? What is the conflict? What is all this stuff? And then they go, okay, how can I relate that back to what's going on today? Or just, you know, how humans interact with one another and how can I tell a great story from that and then use all of those pieces to kind of you know make this really great you know piece of stuff are you gone are you still no I'm here I'm here why does it say offline for you I don't know now that worries me (laughs) you're still here yeah yeah and I can see you (laughs) and I can hear you yeah. Oh, right. behind we'll, the we'll, scenes we'll, of Zencaster. We'll keep going, but uh, well, I hope halfway through your audio doesn't just cut out. Um, I lost my train of thought, but yeah, no. Anyways, just using Star Wars as the set dressing, almost, but then also finding you know that the nut of what Star Wars is, and then the being nut. the the most Star Wars thing I think we've ever gotten since the original trilogy. That really, I think, understands the universe really even if it has no maybe reverence for it um it in it in not in a, a bad way it's just taking it for exactly what it is and finding the best possible story you could tell from that and much like you said uh at the beginning of the year if i said top gun maverick might get nominated for best picture i don't think anyone was going Andor was going to be the best star wars thing we've gotten <laughs> since the original trilogy <laughs> like i just i don't think anyone would have said that um and but now it, we adore it, Andor. It, it's shockingly good i'm re-watching it with nevis now like i mentioned we're all, the next episode is the eye um so i'm so excited to watch that again and she's you know it took her a second the first couple episodes she was like yeah i don't i don't know about this and i'm like please just stick it out get to episode four and five i know people hate when people do that like i'm with you if i talk to someone they're like just wait to episode four of season three and it gets really really good it's like i hate the leftovers that. wait until you um, get to season three when it reboots itself again yeah <laughs> and and you're like just get through it and i fucking hate when people do that um but 
with Andor, I was like, it's get through those first three episodes. The end of episode three, you'll probably be like, okay, I see what this is doing. And then, I mean, you think you see what it's doing. And then episode four, you start to go, oh, damn, like there's a lot going on here. It's complex. It's deep. It's um, stylish. It's it's fun at times. It's exciting. It's thrilling. And like and then when the eye hits, I feel like that episode six. Right. And then um, you just start to go, oh, shit, this this show is a banger like this show fucking rules. So like I can't wait to get to that point. But even Neva said after episode five is she's like, no, I'm all in. It feels, she even mentioned like, it feels like an HBO show, like all the different settings and locations and people and storylines like ABCD plot. It's, it's heady. It's, it's dense. It doesn't spoon feed you anything. It like, it really just kind of drops you in and you kind of have to go like, there's so many planets and characters that you're just like, wait, what the fuck is going on? But if you understand like the simple concept of what, Star Wars is you can kind of make it through and then it gives you more and more of those pieces as it's going on and and uh I won't spoil anything here but yeah that, that last episode episode 12 um it's just like I haven't watched a TV show in a long time where I'm like fucking fuck yeah like as things are happening on the screen like you know there's a funeral scene that is fucking incredible in the in in the last episode of just how it comes together and this speech that is delivered, that is one of the best star Wars speeches I've ever heard. And like, it perfectly encapsulates like why this rebellion is starting and why the empire is such a fascist shitty fucking piece of shit. Um, where you're just like, you want these people to rise up and you're cheering for these people that like are just on this ground level. And, and some of them, they're not necessarily, you know the the hero um with with powers that is going to save the galaxy these are the people uh, that started all of this so luke skywalker can you know uh, you know defeat his father and the emperor and stuff like that like it, it's so cool to just see that you know people rising up against you know these horrible you know horrible people and um i think they did such a good job with it yeah it's it's one of those shows where it's like I started rewatching it again over the weekend. Um, and, You're and, also rewatching it too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. It's, it's because like when we first did the, the reviews for the screeners that we got, you know, it, it did take some time. Those first couple of episodes were all about kind of, you know, the early developing of, of, you know, not just Andor, but the characters around him, the different locations, how the tone was going to be different from everything we've, seen so far in the star wars canon including rogue one like it, it it is very much a dialogue driven set uh directed kind of production where it's all about the communication between characters and specifically when you have you know rebels talking to other people that are on that ground level or you have people within the empire and the bureaucracy of it all and then you have double agents like Stellan Skarsgård's character it's it's all there it just takes a little bit of time to kind of mount that perfect moment and that moment you know in that final episode it all pays off per it perfectly it's brilliant it really is exactly what you want from star wars it, it 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 isn't as you know respectful or reverent to the to the what's come before but it is taking what is needed and then it's also creating something new within 
the legacy that already exists and saying, hey, like there's so much more that you could do with all of this than just have a Skywalker saga. And that is what Andor does so well. It's kind of saying, hey, there's even with, you know, like going past Andor, you know, Andor is only going to be two seasons. It's like there is so much more that you can do with all of these characters like who knew mon mothra back when you know return of the jedi was being mon released mothra, would would be such a big mon deal mothma, isn't it? Mon Moth- mon mothra, sorry <laughs> i keep saying sorry the point i was making though is mon mothra uh is again like you look at the character in return of the jedi and kind of just giving some exposition before yeah kind of, you know the characters kind of go to endor and are you know infiltrating the new Death Star. you like knew she was an important person in in the rebel army but you were like oh okay it's a throwaway just, character though yeah and, and then now, she shows up a little bit more in the prequels and you're like oh we'll never see her again yeah. and then she shows up in rogue one and you're like oh that's cool and now she gets like this whole you know c plot or b i guess it's the b plot probably um who knows they're all a plots but like still waiting for her to turn into mothra though yeah exactly no it's so good but but it is amazing how they were able to flesh out these characters in a way that like again it it kind of the book of boba fett wanted to do that a little bit but at the same time it's like here you are getting those characters that you know and or you know even even with Forrest Whitaker with the 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 little screen time he's had it kind of feels tonally different from what he was doing in in Rogue One and it's yeah. more it's a little more subtle like he's still kind of <gasps> but it's not yeah, but not it's not too. too intense like it actually Boogaloo. makes more sense yeah I I'm all I'm all about it I agree with you I hope like I know Andor is only going to be two seasons which is great but um I really hope it finds its audience too, because I, I do feel like it has its passionate hardcore, you know, people who are yelling again from the, from I guess not even the rooftops, from like the uh, back of the galaxy, Falcons. yeah, yeah, like just screaming at people to watch it. And they did that interesting thing where they put it on Hulu and FX and Freeform and played it on ABC um during Thanksgiving weekend to try to get people's eyes on it. So I wonder if it is. It. I wonder if it is just those three episodes, it taking a little bit of time. I feel like maybe people dropped out after watching an episode or two and was like, I'm sick of Star Wars right now. This really isn't hitting. Like it's it's maybe too dense or boring or the minutiae um, of it, the spycraft yeah. of it, the the the, the in those first two slower. episodes, right? Like yeah. you gotta get through two hours, maybe even three to four hours before the show really kind of shows you what it is and like and how you know how great it is and it's going to be like and that's hard for people who haven't necessarily been burned by star wars but like i feel like it is a brand that wasn't isn't necessarily like fading but people aren't as patient with right like i feel like they want something specific yeah like they want star wars is this to them and it can't be anything else and if you but i think they'd be open to this yeah i feel like if they got to episode four or five like again they would be on board like if you love star wars there's no way 
you get to, ep- the, to, to the eye and not go, this episode of TV is fucking awesome. And then the rest of the show is just rules. Yes. A- everything after the eye is so good. And even watching those beginning episodes, I go, man, this is so different than what the show becomes and ultimately ends up as, even though it's still telling the same story and it all feels cohesive and, and complementary to each other. But like when you get through you know, the heist saga and then you move into the prison saga and then like it's so wild to be saying there's like sagas in a one season of Star Wars TV that ended up being like these four to five episode kind of arcs. Maybe there's just those two sagas and then that final kind of epilogue. But like um, it's uh, can't wait to see where season two goes. And I, I'm with you where like I hope something spins off of this a spin-off of a spin-off where we get more of like the inner workings of the empire and and the rebel army and and stuff like that and like because i feel like you could do more like even what was going on when han luke and leia are doing their shit but like what are the rebels ash rendar baby bring him in i know someone (laughs) someone was like if you could make any piece of star wars uh content what would it be and i'm like it's got to be dash rendar and uh so uh, I have the Super Mario Brothers uh, YouTube window open. I can send it to you, Eric. Yes, please um, do. Uh, I'll tweet or I'll I message you over. Um, so that's enough about what we've been watching. Because here's what we're going to be watching in 2023: the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, Eric and I did a reaction to the first Super Mario Brothers trailer a couple months ago, right? Yes. Um, yes, we did. Super Mario. Oh, then a live chat is up for this. <laughs> I turned that off. Yeah, I did too. it's <laughs> always like, like because like uh, shout out to Nintendo. Like no other, they're the only ones that do the. They do Nintendo directs for their games, right? So because they're so involved in the making of this movie, they've been doing Nintendo directs for the movie. So you don't see like live stream premieres of movie trailers that often anymore. It does happen. They're probably um, putting it in front of. Uh, oh, here it comes. Uh, oh, it's starting. Front of, uh, Violent Night. Oh, I got to turn the volume down a little bit. Um, Sorry about so that. So Eric and I are going to watch this now. I'll have a very low volume. Um, it's Miyamoto. So everyone, we're watching right now. It just started. If you want to watch along, but um, we don't do this very often. But special occasions like this, <laughs> you got to. You got to. <laughs> Miyamoto Imagine if Saw in, did this for the next Saw movie. Toby Bell comes on and is get like, them to do that. Here's Saw Ten. Yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. It's almost finished. Oh my god, I can't wait. I hope it's going to be incredible. Is Chris Pratt going to be like, I love, I always loved Koopas at my local bowling alley arcade. <laughs> it's like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> Wait, this isn't Garfield? Uh, yeah. So we have a dude from Illumination talking. I forget what his name is. Is it another Chris? He's got a sweet green uh, sweater. Anya Taylor-Joy. Yep, there she is. Couldn't Star get her a good microphone, menu. eh? Nope. She recorded this in what looks like to be a bathroom. <laughs> like... Um, with no microphone. Here we go. Miyamoto's back. 
we uh, I'll keep narrating for audio. You guys must love this if you're listening to this on audio. Um, God, Seth Rogen, <laughs> yes, wearing a bucket hat. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Seth Rogen. His name's Zelda. That blocked me on Twitter. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> that dog blocked me on Twitter. Why, Seth? With this dog. Why? Why did your dog block me on Twitter? All I did was unfollow it. Man, that's rough. I'm sorry I unfollowed it. I was just like, I follow. Yeah. yeah. Zelda, why'd you block me? <laughs> Hell yeah, there is. Miyamoto. Okay. Here's the trailer, everyone. Here we go. It's Mario. He's walking out. He's breathing. Oh, he's walking into some sort of stadium. It's like a Hell yeah. Arena. A Donkey Kong. Let's go. Mario's punching Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong's smushing him. Sorry if we're silent. We're watching everyone. He just fucking kills Luigi. <laughs> Bowser, yeah. <laughs> oh, Mario's doing some plumbing. So he is a plumber in this world. Yes. Hell yeah. Yo, this looks so good. I'm all in. Hell yeah, you are Peach. Hell yeah, Toads. Oh, that's cool. Hilarious, hilarious. The cheap cheeps. Yo, this looks legit. I don't it know does, what I was it expecting. It does look like it is taking the Marvel route a little bit with like yeah. especially Thor um Ragnarok with its inspiration. Oh, Mario Kart. Kart. Yeah, oh, yeah, baby. Yeah. Yep. I'm in. Rainbow Road. Let's go. Incredible. It is interesting though that they still don't have Chris Pratt speaking a whole lot in in this Yes, I know, yeah. You had Mario in the Tanuki suit at one point, probably flying around because that makes sense. Mario in a raccoon suit, but <laughs> he can fly. <laughs> love it. Love it. Miyamoto's talking again, everyone. Well, I'll watch that trailer 400 more times. Dissect every moment of it. I mean, that looks like a fun ass movie. I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, it it, it looks cute. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm happy that Mario Kart is in there. I, you know, for the kids, um, <laughs> mainly me. Uh, but yeah, it's it's one of those things where like, I think, you know, if you're a gaming fan and seeing this come back, especially given how you know you've talked about this a lot, where after the live action Super Mario Brothers movie kind of failed horribly nintendo was so guarded with you know potentially 
signing off any of their material to produce into either features or TV or what have you since then to see this happen is an exciting step and a possibility for the future. And if it does deliver on kind of being a fun adaptation, which it does look like it isn't trying to be too self-serious, you know, maybe that leads to a Star Fox movie or, you know, something else down the line. We can only hope. And then maybe 20 years from now, we'll get our own version of Andor, but in the Mario universe. (laughs) Yeah. I have the trailer playing again on silent, but it's just like, it's gorgeously animated. I think it's like taking a lot of like, good easter eggs and nods or in like just all those moments that look like the 2d side scrolling mario or even like this from the original game of mario going against donkey kong and that he in that very original kind of arcade game and uh, like interpreting that as this kind of thing where mario has to go against bowser and it has the same kind of look and style of that like there seems like there's like a lot of love put into this where to your point like they're telling a pretty traditional like you know hero's journey kind of story but then taking all those elements from the games and the games don't necessarily have great stories they're just kind of you know fun video games it's mario against going against bowser trying to save the princess but it doesn't even seem like they're necessarily doing the cool damsel in distress thing for peach here too which is kind of cool um i don't know exactly um but even these moments like i'm looking again that look like ripped from the video games um why mario has to go through these if that's just how the land is being built of like that they have those moments of that platforming kind of jumping through the you know you know getting the fire flowers that you see in this there's so many cool details that i'm going all over the place oh i didn't even notice the field of yoshis running like it's jurassic park and like you mentioned the thor ragnarok kind of going through the portals kind of thing that's my favorite sting song field of Fields of Yoshi. Field of Yoshis, yeah. <laughs> the Mario Kart thing I wasn't expecting either. Of them have to drive, you know, carts to probably go fight Bowser at the end of the movie or something. Like, is just like that's how they traverse on the Rainbow Road here. And you see, like, oh man, all the characters there. I think you see Funky Kong and um man, I'm I'll go through this more after but i'm legitimately excited for this movie (laughs) i know that's maybe setting myself up for uh disappointment but because even i've mentioned it before illumination not my favorite um animation studio um but i have faith with miyamoto being involved nintendo being involved i think 2023 is going to be a a good year for video game adaptations like i've wanted to write an article for a while that just says like you know, video game adaptations are going like are going to be good and it's going they're going to be good very soon. And I feel like I don't think any, we're superhero movies are slowing down or anything like that, but I think we're almost at a point where video games are being taken very seriously and they're a huge money maker, almost more than cinema and movies. Um, they're better stories are being told in video games more and more often i'm playing god of war ragnarok right now which i'm kind of waiting until i play the whole game before i talk about it more in more detail but all hail uh, richard schiff uh, yeah richard schiff odin <laughs> is awesome <laughs> uh, and uh special guest star richard schiff um and i just think that we're with last of us in january this in April. march april, april? okay april. um i i think like those are the two things that g- they got to be good and then if they're going to be good 
uh, I think we're going to start to see like a ton of these things and, and hopefully people take them seriously, like, and not just crappy, you know, IP dumps of being like, Oh, people know what Tomb Raider is or people know what Assassin's Creed is or, or, or whatever. And just make like, even Assassin's Creed had the, at least the ingredients there that you thought they might do something, um, great with it. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? A Max Payne and, and fucking Resident Evil and like all the shit of just the like, Hitman oh, movies. here's a name. Yeah. Here's a, you recognize this video game. Here's a movie. <laughs> like, and that was it. Like, it's not necessarily going, oh, let's find out what people really love about this game and use that. Or this game told a really great story. Let's now tell that story in another medium, just like we adapt books into movies because not everyone reads books and not everyone plays video games. So, like, there are those nuggets there from really great games and even Mario, which is one of the most iconic characters of all time. We talked about it a lot when we went over the first trailer. Um, it's, it's really creative. It looks like of like how you take elements from Mario Kart, from the first Mario game uh, from Donkey Kong, from, you know, every aspect of Mario and go, well, if this was a real world, if the mushroom kingdom was a real world or fantasy world or whatever, how would those video game elements work in this world? Like, why is the Mario game, like say this movie came out before the game, how would they have known what to do in the video game? It's like, okay, let's try to find a way to make this work in a world that seems like it's paying homage to those video game elements, but really kind of works. And I don't know, it's just a trailer, but like, from the trailer seems like there's they care you know what i mean does that yeah. make sense so like that's what's getting me excited it seems like the people who are working on the movie understand and want this not that anyone making a movie wants a movie to be bad um but i think a little bit more love and care is put into certain things and certain things are just a job or something to make a bit of money or you know, something like that, but well, it's not I'm just excited. buying the rights to something, right? Like, yeah, like you look it's the at the creators that, involved with it, right? Yeah. Like you look at that original Mario brother movie with, with Ronald Joffe, you know, buying the rights and kind of developing it. It's like it, it slowly, but surely kind of loses its meaning or what it really kind of the value of it. And especially when you have either filmmakers or studio executives that are approaching it as a job or another avenue to make money. And it's not being really considered for, you know, it, it, not even artistic purposes, but like, just like, you know, if you have somebody that created the world that, you know, is being adapted into another medium, whether it be a film or a show or, or any other format, I think you need somebody to kind of be there to like say like oh this is kind of the continuity or the you need like a Dave Filoni or something like that to kind of like steer you in the right direction for how to do it and not just kind of leave it to the writers to adapt it and then have a studio executive look at the script and be like oh I don't get it let's hire some more writers to come in and then rewrite it and then you know it ends up not even resembling the no, game that you're adapting. Not yeah. at all. And and like that's kind of like the the whole point. Maybe there's too much of that though as well where like sometimes you get too much kind of preciousness and like sure. too many people kind of be like, "Oh, well, you like, want to still take risks and you still yeah. want to kind of like I'm all for doing something weird or taking an idea and and going, "Okay, what's an interesting way of tackling this that had isn't necessarily something they could do or would do in a video game." Um so that 
I, I understand that aspect too, where this is a kid's movie. It might play it very safe, but, um, but I don't know. I I'm cautiously optimistic, I guess is the best term for it. And, um, I can't wait to watch it. Just not trying to narrate it as it's happening and just watch right. it on my, on my OLED TV and stuff like that. Uh, I'm pumped. Uh, I know that's silly, but, uh, I can't wait. I hope it's actually, I hope it's like legitimately good. Like that's all I like, you know, the same level we would talk about a, maybe not necessarily a Pixar movie, but like a good Disney animated movie or something like that. Like it doesn't necessarily have to make me cry or have this huge emotional impact Why do you or cry? something like that. Um, but I just want it to be fun and funny. So, uh, and it looks like it could potentially be that, uh, Eric, before we wrap anything else, there's some news that we didn't really cover. Like, you know, I don't need to get into the conversation about, you know, Tarantino talking about Marvel movies again or anything like that. Um, it's all been because, said and done. yeah, we're not going to add anything like to no. it that hasn't been said already. So, no. um, you know, like what you like. Exactly. It, it, like, it is weird with him though. Like we won't get into it, but it is fascinating specific. Like I get it with Scorsese. Like it's a generational thing, but Tarantino loves comic books. Like he's yeah. always been a comic book guy and like him. But maybe he about, likes that being separate. I don't know. Maybe, like, or maybe just the way that the movies are made. I mean, he has talked about like sort of it being machinery and, and directors that sure. Marvel movies are hired guns, which that that isn't not, it isn't, Untrue. same with the movie star comment is like it's yeah. not untrue either it's just like it's yeah it's the characters Cibu that Leo are is like getting mad at and i agree scorsese yeah. and tarantino and saying that they're gatekeepers and it's like yes and no because specifically like scorsese is a guy that's always championed world cinema and has always used his power and and, and prowess to bring other movies that other than other than him you know wouldn't get that attention so you know like it's 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 a hard thing to kind of like you know it's a more complex issue than 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 just i mean i i agree with the i love marvel one person or one thing you know i love marvel movies uh, i love scorsese movies i love tarantino movies um when it comes to marvel stuff i don't disagree with that movie star comment like i just don't i don't it's the character selling this stuff like i think an actor helps and you still need to be a good actor to succeed in performing those roles but i had this conversation with my wife too of just being like sorry i don't mean any offense but you go uh a lot of marvel movies even the biggest ones i don't think anyone's even going fucking new chris evans movies coming out next week man we gotta go no it depends I on what drop the hemsworth like, hammer on this yeah, one yeah like i it's like no it depends on what the project is it's like there's and i mean that for most movie stars now or just actors well, there are brand, very right brand yeah there's the very thing. few i agree with the comment that there are very few pure movie stars left like it's not very many people that can sell a movie on name alone or brand alone like it's internationally like, too like yeah you, you can't just look at it from north america you have to know from a world point of view the like tom cruise that, is one of those guys right will smith was kind of one of those guys uh i would even put um 
who else would I put in there? Brad Pitt to an extent, like Tom Hanks, um, maybe. To yeah, a Tom Hanks. Extent. Yeah, now, but like even some of those guys, even lesser to a lesser extent. But the, now, the right? movie star but is like, changing. We're like, like yeah. I mean, we'll talk about this probably a lot more with the Batman. movie star is Iron Man now. It's yeah. not. It's the like, it's the name of the 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 brand or the the franchise that is that's been created. And yeah, yeah, you have movie stars within that. Like it's always like you know Robert Downey Jr. kind of got that resurgence because of iron man and then you know because but of he's him. not selling a movie on no, name no, no 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 but you do have movies star- like someone like you know robert it does redford, benefit the people too for someone sure someone like robert redford coming into the marvel franchise even though it didn't work out the way that maybe a lot of people wanted to but it's kind of like oh like robert redford's in a marvel movie so that adds absolutely but i think each marvel movie to it always had that they always had the veteran actor who was a big name even harrison ford coming in to the mcu as, as thunderbolt ross is that right like yeah. but now is, but now it is now it's like okay well it's captain america's movie it's thor's movie it's the mcu's yeah. movie or it's yeah dc it's batman's movie like it's not the person and I, I don't even think it. that's to any offense to any of those actors you still have to be like simu liu is great as shang chi and i'm sure he'll be great in barbie and the other movies that he's in but i don't necessarily think that even after shang chi you go fuck man new simu liu movies coming out we gotta go it's like no you you gotta see what the movie is even and that goes to the biggest mcu stars is like to the hemsworths and the chris evans and the robert downey juniors is like or else Doolittle would have been a huge hit everyone like yeah it's just it's it's not said it did little and i i don't think like i think it's just the way that these quotes are taken out of context put on twitter put in a headline simu liu sees the headline he watches the clip and like i i get it you you got to kind of defend your brand as well and 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 things like that but it's all just so tedious and eye-rolling and just like all right everyone just relax like it just like what you want to like and like well, especially it's not a, when you're it's not a competition and you're yeah, defending like it's, it. it's almost like it being like a sore winner in a weird way it's like Simu Liu is great and talented and like he's he's wonderful in that movie and I'm looking forward to more of his stuff some people just need to know you don't need to comment on everything but, but yeah but that's the both thing. ways it's, it's 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 like you 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 look at that and it's it's kind of like okay man like you 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 are successful you're talented you're doing well like you're going to have a great career you don't need to be so defensive about all of this you know and then with this like i think also like journalists maybe need to back off of asking that question all they the time need because to. You're, just gonna, you're just gonna get the same answer <laughs> every time and like like i think scorsese's opinion is valid. But we all keep talking about it though that's why i know because it because it's clickbait and it's material where it's like okay well scorsese you know next i'm i mean it's gonna happen again in february with the new ant-man and wasp movie it's going to happen again when killers of the flower moon eventually gets released it's you know it, every time we get a film when apple buys disney and now it's all <laughs> yeah yeah scorsese's in the mcu it's just gonna be a complete clusterfuck and we kind of just have to accept it that some people like marvel movies some people don't yeah. and you can even say that within marvel movies you can like marvel movies my wife's home everyone say them, hi to so. nevis Hey, um, Eric and I are AMP boys on today's podcast. <laughs> um, we're almost done. Um, yeah, the Apple buying Disney thing was a joke, but that ties into Bob Iger returning as CEO. The return of Disney. the Iger. Um, Bob Chappick just on a Sunday night, just ousted like it's an episode of Succession. Um, 
wild stuff. We talked about it a bit on air. We don't need to really go into it here. I just wanted to mention it because like uh, we don't know how this is going to affect anything. And I think it'll be more interesting to talk about when it starts affecting things. Like if he does change anything again. And it seems like the safe choice to bring someone in after Chappic didn't work out. Just bring in the guy that left <laughs> right before him. And uh, then there was that interesting article I sent you, Eric, that said like maybe he's coming back to sell Disney to Apple because there's been those rumors for a while and Iger you know uh, one of his bread and butter is is acquisitions and stuff like that he acquired Pixar he acquired Lucasfilm he acquired Marvel um, but now they're saying maybe his you know big thing will be to sell Disney to another big company which would be wild but I also am very skeptical of it because with you know um you know competitive rules and things like that yeah, like, like are there certain regulations yeah, regulations like even right now with going back to video games this all comes full circle and then we'll end the episode uh microsoft tried to buy activision blizzard which is the makers of you know uh, overwatch and call of duty and and wo- world of warcraft and like all of these things like two basically the biggest two of the biggest video game companies trying to merge right and it's looking like they might try to block that because they for you know unfair practices kind of thing and and that's going to be a probably a long court battle over that and with disney already buying up those brands that we mentioned even though those are kind of on a smaller scale other than 20th century fox which was a lot bigger i can't even fathom the only way that that would work i guess is because apple could argue that you know, they just started their film business and um, they don't necessarily have anything in that realm. So they're not combining it with other shit from there. So I don't know. It would be absolutely wild, but it's going to be interesting to see what like if Iger changes anything or or pivots because like they pivoted to streaming heavily. And I'm curious now if they'll pivot back to theatrical more or how things will change, but well, look how strange world is done too. Right. Like that's, that seems to be like the focus of like, that's, it's not just one film that, you know, made the decision to bring Iger back. And I'm sure that was greenlit during Iger's time, weirdly. And then like, and then happened during the end of Chappick's time, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah. It's going to become sort of like almost the scapegoat, you know, moving forward where it's like, that'll be the example, like in the way that in the, in the early eighties in in Disney, when it was kind of struggling, you know, uh, the sword in the stone was the film that everybody kind of, or the black cauldron were, were the movies that everybody looked at and said, like, because Disney was failing at that point, you know, they were kind of, uh, down and out and it wasn't until really the end of the 80s with the great mouse detective but more with uh, the little mermaid that kind of brought them back um in into the the financial fold and but but they they have so much already that even though strange world didn't do that well it's not like they're going to be hurting for that long because they have avatar coming up Black Panther's still doing very well. You know, they, like they have all of these other avenues to explore where, yeah, again, like, which can know, both make them and lose the money, right? Like yeah. the theme park business, the streaming side, all that kind of stuff. So it is this weird thing where you wouldn't go, Disney's not struggling. What are you talking about? The MCU is the biggest thing in the world. Uh, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. But does but, the streaming hurt um, it though as well? Because we've talked yeah. about that where. Because they're spending like, so much money on it and the return is you know, sure retention, but you have to kind of 
Yeah, well, so it's like setting up right? setting a precedent as well for having certain films be available on Disney Plus for free and not for a premium after yeah. a few months it's been released. I mean, we saw that a little bit with Lightyear and Strange World, and I mean, there's also, you know, controversy with the red states as well in terms of having representation in LGBTQ plus characters. That could but be also, affecting it too, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> but you have to look at like okay, you know, I I can watch Lightyear a couple months from now. I'm subscribed to disney plus i don't have to go to the theater to see it you know and, and, especially and i think those 45 day windows it starts changing audiences perspective on these things yeah. right because like they start to come to expect that and we mentioned it even in our strange world review which the movie is just okay but then i go as a family who has maybe two three kids and you got to go you know with the your your partner and like that becomes a hundred plus dollar day right going to see strange world but then if it's on disney plus which you pay for for what's it like twelve dollars a month now um like then you just get to watch it right so if they go oh that's going to be on disney plus in 45 days and unless it's a must see movie where i don't think Lightyear or strange world was pitched as like you gotta see this in theaters even though i think even though Lightyear best, was because of it's Toy best Story. experience with the imax and stuff like that but i think because of the confusion of going well this isn't a sequel to toy story it's a spin-off it's about Where's the, Woody? the toy that inspired the you know all this and stuff it's Chris like evans instead of tim allen yeah i think all that stuff kind of affects people's going well i can wait i don't know what this is and like so yeah i don't i don't know it, it, you never think of disney as struggling but it, they don't necessarily need to be struggling for them to go uh, a merger with someone, which I I can't fathom it. Like Apple and Disney coming together both make sense just based on what their brands are like and what their brands are. Um, but also seems like creating this monster <laughs> that like well, it's, is yeah, already it's, it's a like, monolith already. Yeah. And, like, I mean, it's almost like we're living in Andor in a weird way where the empire is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And I don't know if they're like purely evil. Like I love Apple and I love Disney, but like, but it's, they're still corporations um, though. And you oh, have to totally. Look at them as like, okay, you can't have a monopoly over an entire industry. industry it's the same yeah. way that we talk about other things in, in, in not just in film related stuff, but in everyday life, you have to have healthy competition, even with stu- like, even with uh, uh, exhibitors, you, you can't like just having Cineplex I know. is, is not healthy for the economy. It's not good for There's no competition patrons. for ind- independent theaters, all that kind of stuff. I-, I agree with you. I think the only thing that would, I think it could go through if it happened. And this is all speculation. It's fun to speculate um, because I think it would be insane if it happened. Um, the Warner brothers discovery thing is like two absolutely gigantic companies coming together um, recently. Um, and I just I think Apple's argument would just be like, well, we we're not really like we have a streaming service and we make a little bit of content, but we're not a film studio or or anything like that. So that's why we want this. So it's not like a film studio absorbing another film studio, which has already happened with 20th Century. But like, I don't know, man, I still think we're going to have like. I think the next 10 years will just be the year uh, or the decade of mergers from everything, not just film and entertainment, but video games. We're already seeing it happen. And like, unfortunately I think there's just going to be like a big four in every industry. (laughs) And we've already seen it. Like if you look at other industries, like if you look at even uh, the grocery industry and 
like supplies and shit like that. Yeah, they're coming full circle. We're wearing AMP sweatshirts. Is like if you look at the companies that own everything that you buy in grocery stores, it's like four companies. It's like Pepsi, Coke, uh, Unilever, and like some other company. I don't know, but like it's like four companies. And if you look at all their subsidiaries that sell you corn chips, but they also sell you fucking dishwasher pods and they sell you everything that it's just like, I, you're going to start to see that I think in other industries where there's just going to be like four giant companies that own 80 different little things. And, uh, it's just like, I don't know, it's a dystopian kind of, uh, thing, but we've been predicting it for a long time and I think it's just going to happen. I don't know. But so you just, you gotta just bow down to our overlords and hope they give you the best entertainment until I die. <laughs> and then it's not my problem anymore. I don't right. know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I mean, but, like the studio system as well. Like it started with like the big six and stuff like that. And yeah, it's just it's a it's a different. It, it's still the same, but it's different in that, like you know, it, the the technology is different, the world is different, and how we consume media. And so, with that, like you could see still a divide between, you know, like I could see like Apple even if if the Disney thing doesn't happen, you know, like going with like other studios, like seeing like if Universal mm-hmm. and they'll and buy one. I guarantee Paramount you. or something wants to team up. Netflix will be bought by someone, which we've already predicted, and Apple will buy a, a film studio. And I think they'll try their hardest at Disney and it'll be the most expensive to buy probably. Yeah. Um, but Apple ha- Apple could literally buy Disney with cash right oh, now. God, those A24 like, movies are going to be Disney films. <laughs> yeah. Did Apple buy A24? No, they're or just they collaborating with them. With because them. There are but that was the that rumor are... that they were going to buy yeah. them too, right? And there are movies that are exclusively available on Apple. So something like The Tragedy of and, Macbeth or On the Rocks, right? But A24 was rumored to be selling, but what they were asking was too much, right? I think yeah. that was the article that came out. Like they value themselves a little bit more than maybe others do. And they probably, tracks, they probably but do, like, but at the same time, it's like maybe if they win one more like Oscar for Best Picture or something like if that. Everything line, Everywhere wins or something. Yeah, Maybe then um, they'll, they'll they sell keep, right away, right? Yeah. I do think Netflix will be sold eventually, and I, I have a weird feeling that this Disney and Apple thing is true, and that in the next five years that shit will happen. They'll people will fight it, but I, I have a weird you can't feeling stop that it's what's true. Coming. Yeah, basically. Uh, all right, let's wrap there. Um, I called this random news, but mostly Disney. Um, I'm excited for the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, I'm excited for award season. This was a fun episode. Uh, we might not have a review out this week just based on you know, how things are netting out, but I think we have a ton of reviews for stuff that basically are out these last couple of weeks that either we reviewed at TIFF or um, have reviewed recently. Eric, do you have anything off the top of your head? Uh, well, I mean, I my so my Rogers slate this week is uh, White Noise, All the Beauty and the Bloodshed, and The Inspection. Um, which right. We we didn't review any of those. I mean, <laughs> sure. White, White Noise didn't play. So we could review all tip. any of those. Yeah. Yeah, and then, um, you know, Pinocchio's out in theaters now, but it won't be available on Netflix until the following Friday. So we could have a review for that next week. Um, Babylon is still under, um, embargo, so we can't have a review up as of yet, but we will, as soon as we know when that embargo is, and we'll have things good to go there. And then 
you know, violent night will will catch. We'll up probably both and, see, and then we'll probably have a review out next week or something like yeah. that. It'll be interesting. And, Eric and I are also going to New York next week, so again, it there's the menu. And, I mean, the menu. Yeah, we haven't reviewed that, um, and that seems to be doing quite well theatrically. Yeah, right let's now. we'll review a few things on Thursday when we um when we chat uh, about some other stuff. So we'll have a couple reviews out. Uh, this week, at least probably one or two of them. I'm gonna watch um, EO tonight. So, oh, are you? Oh yeah. Oh okay. I got nice. it because I'm going. It? I'm attending the virtual press conference. So, oh, I I thought you would. Um, I got it. I <laughs> I um have a bunch of screeners I gotta watch, but uh, but you guys can check out our reviews right now of uh Guardians of the Galaxy Holiday Special, Bones and All, Strange World, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Causeway, Tales of the Jedi, Armageddon Time, After Sun, um, The Good Nurse, uh, Black Adam. Then there's stuff like The Fablemans and uh, Glass Onion, Glass Onion, so which we all reviewed at TIFF. So um, anything that's been coming out recently, you can probably just you know search Untitled Movie reviews and then the movie and you'll find it um and then we'll review a few more this week next week we'll be in new york so the episodes might drop at weird times or something like that maybe we'll record one in the hotel room who the hell knows what we're gonna do over there <laughs> hotel uh, recording we'll just get room service and record a podcast you better not get brussels sprouts oh uh, uh, do you think we're staying at the same place if we do i might get brussels sprouts oh my god no man no <laughs> <laughs> um one stop shop for everything head over to letterbox which is untitled underscore movies and you can follow me uh still on twitter uh for the time being <laughs> surprisingly um, who knows for how long uh at matt Rohrbeck and all those other social medias too and i'm eric Martin. you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on the social medias at em6211 i quickly just want to mention um that albert pune uh director albert pune passed away uh recently and um he was known as a b-movie director and unfairly put in a category next to people like ed wood and made a lot of kind of uh neon uh drenched uh usually kind of neo-noir movies and um i had the chance to revisit one i hadn't seen in a very long time radioactive dreams which was a delight um justin de um who's a filmmaker uh had a bunch of screenings on his uh twitch um page but he also wrote a book um, about the director that I highly recommend if you are interested in sort of genre films on low budgets from the 1980s into the early 2000s and specifically focusing on Albert Pune's career uh, and where he went in as a director. He was kind of known as a four or five day shooter where he'd make a movie in four to five days and then move on to the next film. Uh, it's called Radioactive Dreams, the cinema of Albert Pune by Justin DeClue. So I highly recommend checking that out and and even checking out some of of uh, Pune's movies. He directed a number of full moon films that I remember fondly as a kid, like Doll Man with Brick Bardo, played by Tim Thomerson, who's in a lot of uh, Pune movies, and uh, Arcade, which again, not the greatest place to start for that career, but there's a lot of interesting stuff there, and um, always worth revisiting uh, filmmakers who didn't get the respect that they deserved when they were making movies. So definitely check that out. Cool. Until next time. The Bob Iger has returned. Somehow Iger has returned. <laughs> <laughs>